Um, and we have a special um, going on. So we, on October 8th, we will not have service. In place of that, we're going to have a park day at Paul Meyer Park for fun and fellowship. <laughs> so don't come here on October 8th. Um, we'll see you guys at the park. And then the following week on October 15th, we'll be here back at Spring Valley High School to celebrate our five-year anniversary service. <laughs> And to bring us the word is Pastor Roland Gray. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, welcome to the show. <laughs> Just allow me to set up here for a second. So as an explanation, uh, you guys know that there was a fire at our storage unit. We've been uh, kind of keeping you as posted as we can. Uh, regarding our storage unit. Do we have the pictures of that? Um, so we don't have our regular setup. We don't have our regular equipment. So we are making do with, with what we have. Um, and so obviously we have a skeleton crew as a band. Uh, but how many know uh, God just loves worship? Um, he loves when we worship. And it's not an ego thing. We might get to talk about this today. But it's not an ego thing. God doesn't say worship me so that you can be subservient, so that you can be kind of a lesser vessel that worships him. Worship is a design that makes us work correctly. Um, if you take your car and you try to put water in the gas tank, how many know it will not work? And in the same way, when we don't worship, we just don't work right. And so it's a way in which we uh, get before God and he does great and amazing things. Uh, in our life. And so, um, all right, here we go. We continue our series today uh, on family. Say family. And um, uh, and we've talked about marriage. We've talked about singlehood. How many singles in the house? Some are like, yep. I don't know if that's good or bad, but we learned last week, Pastor Matt masterfully explained to us how being single is such an opportunity to bring glory to God's name and to advance his kingdom. And then once you get married, not only you're advancing God's kingdom, but also your wife's kingdom. <laughs> and you become a little bit kind of divided. And so Paul told us, it's better that you don't marry if you are after um, God, not that if you get married, like you have less of God, but it's just, there's something about being single that allows you to worship him whole uh, in a way that is undistracted. So we understand that, right? Well, today I want to talk about uh, parenting. Uh, now you might be thinking, well, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. This will still apply. Okay. We're going to look at God's word in such a way that um, it applies. Um, but before I do that, while it is on my mind, I just want to uh, remind us about the park day. Okay, we talked about that on the 8th. Um, we are going to use that as an opportunity for you to invite friends and family to come hang out. And then hopefully they'll join us for our anniversary uh, the week after that. So keep that on your radar. Uh, also, um, uh, just by way of a brief, brief announcement for those of you who are students um, there will be a campus conference. We're going to give you more details uh, in the next few weeks as we go along. So there'll be opportunity uh, to help our students attend that conference, to be a blessing to them uh, financially. Um, how many have been a starving student before? 
Yes, yes. I mean, ramen and hot dogs was a delicacy, right? And so uh, we want to believe with our students and get them to this conference because we believe God is going to do something great. Amen? All right, why don't we start with prayer? Bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and then we're going to get into this. Father, thank you. God, we thank you for bringing us together as a spiritual family. And Lord, approaching your word as a spiritual family. Thank you that you as a father, you know what we need when we ourselves do not. We don't always know. Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal your heart, the heart of the Father. As faith comes through hearing the word, I pray your word would remind us and inspire us and instruct us and challenge us and transform us and change us. And even though we are going to read words spoken for a different people, a different generation, and a different time, we believe that the words that we're going to read today are your words. They come from your heart. And your word transcends time. Your word transcends culture. They were impactful then, and they're going to be impactful still today for us and practical for us. Help us take your word to heart in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. All right, well, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would probably, I think it would be safe to say that you have never heard of a man named Frederick Ruheim. Anybody ever heard of Frederick Ruheim by chance? If you have, without looking at your phone, no Google help today. If you know who he is, I will give you a prize. Matter of fact, if you know who he is, I'll give everybody a prize. Okay, no, no, no takers? Okay, so I would have won. I could have put a lot of money in one, but again, I'm not a betting man. But you may not know the name, but many of you probably are familiar with his product. Um, one hint is that if you have a peanut allergy, you cannot have this product. No, nobody knows yet. If you know it, and we spoke this morning, don't say anything. It's gonna. Close. Not quite. Not quite. Matter of fact, that might have led you in the wrong direction. Let me give you another hint. <laughs> Let me give you another hint. What usually happens traditionally in the middle of a baseball game, say around the seventh inning? Seventh inning stretch. What do they sing? Take me out to the... Matter of fact, everybody stand up. We're going to act like we get the game. Everybody stand up so I'm not singing by myself because I already lost. Okay, everybody stretch. Okay, ready? Say, take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the... Okay, now here's your hint. Buy me some peanuts and... Cracker Jacks. Frederick... Ruachheim was the inventor of Cracker Jacks. You may take your seat, and if I can get some help, uh, I want to um, give you guys a treat. Anybody here never had Cracker Jacks before in your life? Anybody? Okay, we got a couple. Okay, again, look, advertisement. There are peanuts. If you have an allergy, do not grab one, okay? Or maybe give it to somebody else, but if you guys can, uh, uh, they're underneath here, yeah, I think. Somewhere. Uh, under, under here, Matt? Other side. And yeah, and then Tam, can you help me on this side? Okay, we got two bags. We're going to pass them down the rows, and you guys can all 
uh, take one, all right? If you get nothing else from today's message, at least you will walk away with some Cracker Jacks. All right, man, wow, everybody's happy. I should do this every Sunday. These snacks, ooh, listen to all that sound. Look at all that racket. <laughs> I grew up on these. These are nostalgic for me. Another thing that makes these snacks special to me is that this company was established in my favorite sports city of Chicago. And so that song is what made these snacks popular. These snacks are over 130 years old. Not actual these, okay? These, these, you're safe within the expiration date, okay? All right. That one that you saw is 130 years old, okay? But as you are tearing into that bag, I want you to look at the front. And you see a monogram, you see a picture of something there. What do you see? You see a sailor with a dog. That sailor, the owner, Frederick Ruekheim, put that picture there to remind him of his grandson who died at eight years old. And so that's the picture he never ever wanted to forget and he always wanted to remember his grandson and so he put his picture with his dog Bingo. Does that ring a bell? There was a dog who had a, oh no, there was a farmer had a dog and <laughs> there was a dog who had a farmer. <laughs> that's not it. That's what my dog thinks sometimes. And Bingo was his name right? And so all these are coming back. And these were popular because it was one of the most successful marketing campaigns in the world. And so every box had a prize. And everybody wanted to get one. So I hope you enjoy those. But I did that to stamp in your mind that the way Frederick Ruekheim wanted to always remember his grandson in the same way God implores us to remember the next generation and to remember young people. So let it be stamped on your heart today as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to go. Even as I prayed this morning, these were words that were written for another time and written for another generation and written for another people. But how many know God's word and God's principles work always? Amen. So we're going to get into this. Are those good? I give you permission to crunch away. Some of you are like, oh. So in the book of Deuteronomy, let me just kind of give you some context and then we'll jump into it. The Lord tells his people to set up reminders, not alarms like on your iPhone reminders. These were reminders, kind of more like monuments so that when you see them and when you pass by them, they were remembrances, not to God, but to remember God's instructions. And so it would remind them that that's what God did. This is what God did. This is what God wants, or this is what the Lord said to us. And that's what these reminders were for. And so Moses, who was a spiritual patriarch to us, was also a father to the nation of Israel. And he was about 120 years old when we get to this story that we're gonna read. Uh, 
And he gives his last speech. How many know when somebody knows they're at the end of their life, maybe on their deathbed, and they're going to speak something? How many of those words are very significant? And so this is Moses. He's about to exit this world and enter into eternity. And so he gives these parting words. Okay, we're going to read a portion of what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I'm going to reference outside before and after that. Um, uh, but by the way, uh, the Jewish people refer to this section of scripture in the Old Testament as the Shema. It's S-H-E-M-A, pronounced Shema. You say it fast. I can remember uh, in February of last year, uh, I was able to visit Israel, and so I was with a group of pastors, and every morning we would get together, and because our, um, our guide was uh, a practicing, uh, orth- not Orthodox Jew, but he was, he was practicing, he practiced Judaism, um, and so we would say and sing, sing it, uh, the Shema, every day. We'd wake up, um, and so um, there's a whole lot of explanation to this. We don't have time to get, to get into it, but it's very uh, neat, very significant for me to be able to be a part of something like that. But the scripture that we're going to read is Moses giving these instructions to a brand new generation of people. How many know God is a multi-generational God? And so even as we are here and our young people are in classrooms in the back and in other parts of the building... Church is not something that adults do, and kids' church and nursery is not something, some place that we put the kids while we do church. I want you, when you see our teachers and you see the ones who spend time with your kids, tell them thank you for discipling them. They don't take this lightly. They are back there pouring their lives into your children. And that's just kind of a supplement to what we are called to do as parents and as adults. So back to the Shema. Uh, This was a pledge of allegiance to the Lord God of Israel and was a statement that declared that you would have no other gods except him. The Lord, he is one. So the scripture uh, we're gonna read are instructions again to this brand new generation. So what's happened is Moses has, um, God has called Moses to bring his people out of Egypt And so they go through the wilderness, and it takes 40 years, if you remember the story. And when they leave, there's a bunch of adults and parents who had children with them. And so we get to the point where they're about to go into the promised land, and those children are all grown up. And they're bigger. And they're too young to remember the first time God gave these instructions to Moses. And so because they don't know, Moses is about to tell them again, he's gonna remind them that these are God's instructions. And so Moses, nearing the end of his life, he's reminding them that these words are not his own. What I am, what we're gonna read today, this is not me, this is not our church, these are God's words from his heart. And so, The parents are old. Many of them had even died in the wilderness and they come to this pinnacle. They're about to walk into the promised land and this new generation needs to hear God's instructions all over again. So we're gonna jump into it. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through nine, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all, say all, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everything we just read, a practicing uh, uh, I keep saying orthodox, but those are the very, very practicing. But uh, Jews who practice Judaism, they, 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 this is actual meaning to them. Um, there is a, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but there is, it looks like a, a little hat, square, uh, and they put it on their forehead, right at the border of their forehead and right between their eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture um, or, or maybe observed a Jewish person. They had this, looks like a box on their forehead. And for us, it would seem a little bit silly, but to them, it's, it's putting this into practice. Putting it in front of you, between your eyes, that is a sign to them to remember what God said. And so the book called Deuteronomy, Deuteros meaning two or second. Okay, not a second set of laws, but a second uh, telling, a second giving of the law. Um, and so it's a, it's a recap, it's a reminder to the next generation because uh, if God's instructions were forgotten, it would lead to a lot of bad things. We're gonna get into this. So if we want our lives and the lives of those after us to go well, how many want the lives of your children to go well and your nieces and your nephews and, and the, the, the kids that you see running up and down the street, you want it to go well with them. If we want that and we want it to go well, we must wholeheartedly embrace God's principles. What we just read, we need to embrace them wholeheartedly. And before we go deeper into this, I wanna explain something. See, our human minds see this as backwards. We approach God as if we must do something in order to receive something from him. So we started in verse four, but if you back up to verse one, two, and three, you'll see that God actually explains, I am giving you these instructions because I am giving you a promise. So first comes the promise, and if you wanna keep what is in that promise, then we keep the instruction. See, we think we gotta perform. Oh, I didn't do good today, so God's not going to bless me. How many approach God that way? Oh, I didn't do, you know, oh man, I was a little bit bad today, so uh, God's promise isn't going to be there for me. It's backwards. God says, no, no, no. Promise first. That's how good I am. And he says, I am giving you the land flowing with milk and honey. And when you think about milk and honey, it's not... Uh, it, milk, so back then, there was no uh, $100 bills, y'all. You couldn't make it rain, right? Because there was no, wasn't that kind of money. If you wanted to make it rain, you had to uh, milk your cows and spray it everywhere. That's because the money was in your livestock. And the milk represented um, provision, and it, it, it represented satisfaction. Okay? And then it talks about the land flowing with milk and honey. 
when it says honey, biblical honey isn't just what the bees made. How many go and buy honey at the, at the farmer's markets here? I fell into this trap. They said, you know, you can help your allergies if you buy the honey that the bees harvest from the local flowers that make you allergic. And if you eat the, the honey, you'll build a tolerance. And so I did that and spent lots of money on, on honey. And maybe it worked. I don't know. I love honey. How many love honey? When I was in Israel, um, on, my, on our way back, the, the, our last evening in Israel, everybody was happy. Everybody was going to go see their family. They enjoyed their trip, trip of a lifetime. We stopped at this restaurant. And one of my favorite vegetables, it's a sleeper. I mean, it's, it's so underrated to me. I love, it's one of my favorites. It's eggplant. And so they prepared this eggplant. They cut it in half, and it was the two halves. They baked it, and they put tahini and they put date honey. And if you have never had date honey, bee honey can't touch it. It is so much more sweeter and the quality is so different. And so what God is saying is a land flowing with milk and honey, not that, not that other stuff that you're used to. The stuff that I give is good stuff. It's quality. And he's saying, this is what I'm giving to you. First, be just because you are his people and he is your God. Are you getting this? He says, this is the promise that I give you. Now, if you want to hold on and keep this promise, here's how you do it. Here's the instructions. How many don't like to read instructions? You'd rather see the picture. So if you're like me, I would have been looking over the border going, ooh, look at that land. I got this, God. He goes, no, 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 no. This is important. And he gives these set of instructions. He said, it's good land. And if you want to keep it, I'll give you that. If, you know, if you've been following the real estate market, um, <laughs> you might realize how boxed out you are and how you, you may not buy a house for a while, right? Uh, matter of fact, I come against that. I pray, Lord, you give houses. Lord, give us the ability to purchase. Um, but it would be like somebody, you know, you know we, we would work hard if we want to buy a house, right? And we would uh, invest right and we would store up and pack our savings, right? So that one day we can go and buy a house. But God does this different. He goes, hey, what if somebody said, there's this nice five bedroom with a big yard, which you don't get in Vegas anymore. All you need to do is step into it and occupy it. Wouldn't that be a good deal? This is what God's saying here. I, the promised land is here. You're just going to walk into it. But if you want to keep that house, how many know you got to work? And if you want to keep the house, how many know you would need to be a good steward over your money? There's some instructions. If you do it right, that will be a blessing to you. It will be a blessing to your family. It would be a blessing to your kids' kids if it's done right. And that's what God is talking about here. But in order to do that, he gives a set of instructions that we need to embrace. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. Even as we're talking about the next generation, we're talking about kids. If anybody wants to remain in what God has given, how many know we need to keep his principles? Verse 5, and what we just read says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with 
all your might. And this was so important. Jesus himself in the New Testament. Many years later, he even repeats this. And it was a lawyer, a smart guy, who thought he could stump Jesus in this situation. Thought he could throw a curveball and trip Jesus up. And he says, Rabbi, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew twenty two thirty seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What we just read in the Shema. This is the great and first commandment, but I'm going to up it. The second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many want to be blessed? How many want good things for you? Jesus says, okay, tag this on that greatest commandment. I want you to treat everybody else the way you would want to be treated. Jesus always had this way of getting things up even higher than, than what we thought was already high. The second thing, we must diligently teach God's principles. Not just wholeheartedly embrace them, but diligently teach them. How many know you can't teach what you don't have or what you don't know? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, I'm going to repeat it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Every generation needs to hear the story. And every generation needs to hear the story from the previous generation. Even better if it's from the original. But they need to hear the story. Young kids are naturally, they are naturally um, curious about mom and dad. And this was the case with my kids. They were always asking us, what was it like for you back then? What was it like in high school? About four years ago, uh, we attended a conference uh, in Orlando. Um, Florida is where I spent my junior high and high school years. And so um, we went back and we decided to visit my, uh, my family. And so we went back to the, my old stomping grounds, my t the town where I grew up um, and, and went to school. And so my kids couldn't wait because... I told them, I said, okay, because I, I had to kind of let them know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet up with some old friends of mine, okay? They are not Christian, <laughs> okay? Repeat after me there. And they said, okay, there we get it. But they couldn't wait to get in front of them because they knew they had the scoop on me. And so I meet up with one of my uh, friends, and I don't know what it is. All my, all my friends sell great cars. All my good friends just... You know, so I went to visit a friend of mine. He was at a dealership. And you know what my boys did? They said, Mom, Dad, get out. I was like, what's going on? We're going to ask Dexter some questions about you. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. And when my kids came out of the room, they were like, I gave them permission. I said, guys, and here's why. It's not to brag. It's not to show my kids how bad I was. Because I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. But the story that I love to tell the most is how God changed me. And so while they got a kind of a contrast of 
Because y'all see nice Pastor Row right now. P. Rowe, what's up? Yeah, how's your fantasy football league? Yeah, good. Yeah, y'all haven't seen the other side. Matter of fact, I get haunted. I'm thinking, Lord, let these pictures not get out. Let these stories not get out. And I let my kids hear that because I wanted them to see the pit that God took me out of. And so the story that I get to tell is called a testimony. And if you're following God, you have one. And you have a story to tell. And those stories go so far in instructing the next generation. When you say, look what God has done for me, and therefore look what God has done for us. I was proud, I was arrogant, I was violent, I was rebellious, but look what God has done. Look what God has done. And we tell these stories to inspire and challenge and to remind them if God has been good to me, he can also be good to you. And I'll tell you what, I love seeing the next generation. Not just change, but I love to see the next generation rise up. I love seeing Ezra running that table outside. You adults, get out of here. He's, he's got it. You know, I love to see my, my son try to, try to do life group, but sometimes I'm just going, oh, God, help him, you know. And, but, but you know what? He's, he's, he's out there, and he's trying. He's working it. And I'm like, you know what? That's just the beginning. Youth ministry is youth ministering to youth. Think about that. And there's going to be a day and time, watch, and I'm telling you right now, to mark my words, that one day there's going to be a service in which we turn it over to the young people. And we say, you choose the music. Yes, we may not like it, but you choose the music. And one of you guys are going to preach. Whatever it is on your heart, you are going to, the Bible says, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. But instead, what? Be an example in life, in speech, in how many know God's talking about young people? You're going to see young people rise up in this church. Just about every major move of God has been ushered in by young people, including his own 12 disciples who were barely 30 years old. Hardly educated. I love the way God works. He takes everything that we find valuable, everything that we think has something and means something, and he goes, I don't need that. You just give me somebody who is wholehearted towards me. And you'll watch the harvest come in. I loved spending time with Pastor Randy a few weeks ago. The biggest kick, and they're not even here, I wanted to, I wanted to tease them a little bit, but Pastor Randy was saying, oh man, I remember when your worship leaders, DJ and Leah, were young kids, and Leah would walk in, she'd come in from school, and he'd say, sit down at the piano and learn it, and she'd go... You know, what is this thing? It's, it's a keyboard. Start, start playing. She'd be like, oh, you know. And then how they would be having uh, music practice and DJ would be sitting on the floor throwing out his cards. And those kids who were playing around then are now leading you in worship in this church. Because God is committed to the next generation. They aren't the future of the church. They are the church. They are the church. 
And so this is a picture of discipleship. They don't have to be your biological children. If this is who God has put in front of us and you worship together in this church with them, God is calling us to remember them and to pour into them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go. You see how that works? There's a delegation. I have authority, that delegated authority, now you go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, and here's the promise again, God is full of promises. I am with you always to the end of the age. Pouring into the next generation is just a picture of this fancy showing somebody how to walk close with God as you do it. As we walk with God, we show somebody else, come along, so I'm not by myself. We follow God together. It sounds super spiritual. It's very simple. So how do we ensure the blessings flow and things go well with you and things go well with your children and things go well with the children around us? Wholeheartedly embrace God's principles. Diligently teach those principles. I remember when my kids were small and they would just copy everything we did and we'd sit at the table and we'd bless our food. And I can remember Zachary and Zion, the times when they couldn't even talk, and we'd say, hey, son, can you pray for the food? And they'd go, amen. And we'd go, amen. We were teaching them. They didn't know what they were saying, but they were honoring God even at a young age. And then my wife would cuddle up next to them and read the Bible, and I'm going, those words are too big for them. And she did it anyway. And the word of God was getting in my boys. Even at a young age, I can remember listening to praise and worship when they were in the stomach and I would put the earphones on my wife's t- tummy. And I said, boys, you hear that? That's the West, what we jam with. That's how we worship God, right? And so, I mean, I, from the day that I knew they existed, we were trying to pour into them and we were trying to teach them. And sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do when your kids start to grow older and they become a little bit more independent and they start to have opinions. And the worst person is Zion. He was such a persistent kid. Sometimes I just wanted to go, get out of here. Just stop talking. And so he go, Dad, can we, can we not go to church today? And I'm like, what? And then he'd go, oh, that was a mistake, wasn't it? And I'd go, yeah, son, we go to church. That's what this family does. Do you understand that? Any, any, any questions? And he said, no, 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 no. And I would think it was clear to him, and he'd go, yeah, but. And I'm going, oh, what? And he would push and push and push, and we would have to teach even, even harder, even stronger. And so now my boys are older. And I told them, when you turn 18, speak of the dude who, what's up, son? Yeah. 
Why are you late? <laughs> I told my boys, when you turn 18, you do whatever you want. As long as you move out this house, you do whatever you want. <laughs> but if you're still 18 and you're living in my house, this is what we do. You don't have to like it. I will always love you no matter what you decide. But if you don't like it, I will love you as you do what you do. This is the design. We raise our children and we do the best we can hoping that we did everything we can. Because they're only on loan to us. We don't own them. As you pour into your children, there are responsibilities and trust that, that begin to offset each other. And so when your child is a baby, you are a dictator. That child cannot reason. And if you let that child do what it wants, that child will get hurt. How many? And because my kids were stubborn, sometimes I let them get hurt. <laughs> I can remember we had this door that, that wouldn't stay open. It would always kind of swing closed. And my kids would always put their fingers there. And my wife would be like, oh, stop, don't. You know, we'd, we'd try to punish them, and they wouldn't learn. So finally I said, leave them. And my wife was like, what? I said, leave them. And guess what? So Zachary stuck his hand, and that door kind of pinched him. He was like, ah, I screamed. And, and my wife was like, oh, honey. Oh, you know. Right? That's what you do with your kids? And that works. Sometimes like, ah, I'll just kiss it and then run out playing again, right? He never touched that door again. Sometimes life lessons are the best teachers. And you can still apply the word of God to it. But as your child grows, you're a dictator. That baby has nothing. And as they grow older and they're, school, they're in school, then all of a sudden they can start to choose their lunch. And, they can, and all of a sudden you start to transfer some trust and some responsibility, and the design is that if you did right, by the time they're 18, and as you have let go of them little by little, they can make great decisions because you've done it right and you've instructed them with God's word. My kids would always fight with us, but the moment we brought the Bible in, they'd go, because we taught them this is the final authority. We are your parents, we look to the Bible, this is the final authority for us. Though we may not agree with everything, to me, it makes so much sense. If, I, if we just did everything the Bible told us, I see nothing but good things. You might think, well, that's too much. Think whatever you want. If you do it, it's not, the bad stuff is not gonna. The moment we deviate from this is when we get in trouble. I can, I can preach with experience. Let me jump into this last point. Wholeheartedly embrace God's principles. Diligently teach his principles. And then lead not just by example, but lead passionately by example. Anytime someone is passionate about something, you, they can't hide it. Whether it's a car, whether it's a sports team, hello. Whether they, you, you can't hide it. And so, I, 
this, I have this question. How passionate are you about God? Look at your neighbor and smile and go, eh, eh, he, eh, he went there. <laughs> you don't have to answer now. But the question remains, how passionate are you about him? Because it's not like he hasn't kept his end of the bargain. Remember, he starts with the promise, just because you're my people, just because I'm gonna be good to you. That, but if you wanna keep that, and you want to benefit from that, and you want your kids to benefit from that, this is what we do. Lead passionately by example. When God says, hear, O Israel, God doesn't want passive hearing. He wants active listening. And I've said this before, but my wife, me and my boys, the, the food of choice in my house is cereal. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if we had a choice, it would be cereal. I don't know why. It's how I grew up, and that's how I diligently taught my boys. <laughs> And so my wife will come downstairs, we'll hear the footsteps, and we're crunching away on Captain Crunch. Thank you, LJ. And my wife will say, okay, boys, that includes me, boys, the dishes need to be put away, the dog needs to go out, the trash needs to be put in the dumpster outside, and we'll all nod our heads. Mm-hmm. And she'll walk over to the table and she'll say, look at me. <laughs> Y'all look. And she'll go, what did I just say? And we're all trying to help each other. Uh, you said something about um, uh, the, the, uh, the dishes, you know? And, and she's like, you know, you, you, you weren't listening. You can be hearing and passive. Or you can listen actively. And when, 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 uh, when, uh, in this verse, when it says, hear, O Israel, the intention is that we, uh, God's people would listen intently with the intention of doing. And here's what makes church kind of a dangerous place to be. Now, you've probably never heard this, and I've never said this. But what makes church dangerous is when we come in, because we hear God's truths. And we hear them all the time, don't we, when we come in here. We're even moved sometimes. We're like, wow, that was good. And then we don't do it. And when we hear something and we don't do it, what happens, see, there's a, there's a direct link between our ears and our heart. And the Bible says, so a man thinketh in his heart, not in his mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so when we hear God's word all the time and we do nothing about it, that connection builds a callus around our heart. And all of a sudden, you can hear God's word and it can go in one ear and out the other and not even phase you. And then we start to come all the time and hear God's word and that callus is there and it no longer makes the impact that it once did. So... We come to church kind of the way we watch TV or the way we watch YouTube. One of the, my favorite things to watch on YouTube is um, something called solo camping. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Solo camping? Okay, see, so y'all are like, no, what is that? And so I will watch these things for half an hour, and it'll be some person with a nice four by four going up to some secluded forest or mountain or stream or lake or something, and then camping all by themselves. And I'm looking at that going, man, that would be cool. They make it look so romantic and serene and peaceful. And so I get glued in. How many know I'm, I'm, I've never done that in my life? And so sometimes we come to church kind of the way we watch things with no intention of doing it. Guilty. Thank you for the guitar. Guilty. These instructions that God gives us is not a suggestion. If you feel moved today, if you feel inspired today, maybe, maybe do some of these. Uh, it says keep these so close. Matter of fact, keep it right in the middle of your forehead. That's how close he wants these principles, these, these instructions, how active he wants them to be in our lives. Because if we keep them, if we keep them, they'll keep us right where he wants us and where he wants our children. Ephesians 6.14 Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, children, okay, this encapsulates everybody, okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I don't know if we have any kids in here, just saying. Obey your parents, parents said, amen, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I wish we had time to go into this. Verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, when God's, when, we, when God talks about love, we water it down. But when God talks about love, he, there's an expectation for us to do. Matter of fact, we, it's not just talking love. We, we uh, demonstrate love. And it's tough because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll obey me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. But we say we love you, Lord. But when we don't, it's like really, can I just be blunt? It's like a lie. I love you, but I'm not going to do what you're going to say. Wait a minute. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. But we, we hold back. And so do we, do we really love him? All I'm saying is this, guys. We love what God gives us and what he provides us. And I don't know about you. I'm going to live in that as long as I can. In order to do that, these are the instructions he told us. Keep close to you. Keep them in front of you. Lead your life with them. And when you do, it won't just benefit you. It'll benefit those around you. It'll benefit those who are under you. Those who you're responsible for. Those you come across. Acquaint. God is so good that his blessings overflow. 
And that's just the way he does things. Thank you, Lord. Let me just recap. If you want things to go well with you, wholeheartedly embrace God's principles, diligently teach his principles, and then lead passionately by example. Can we do that today? Bow your heads, I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for your word. And Lord, thank you that Lord, way before us, you put this plan into place. Lord, way before us, Lord, you made a way where we would be blessed. Matter of fact, despite ourselves, you bless us. And while we've done nothing to deserve it, you give to us. And we can walk in relationship with you because you were the one, again, who, who always initiates And Lord, you made the first move and you gave your life for us so that, Lord, we can be blessed and that we can experience life. And for that, we thank you. If you're here today and you're not walking close to God the way that we know we should, if that's you, I wanna pray with you. I wanna give you an opportunity to, to get it right with him so you can be in right relationship with him If that's you, I want to know who I'm praying with. Nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand? Is that anybody here? You want to get your heart right with God, your life right with God, and surrender to him? Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? We're going to pray all together, but I want us to pray in agreement and standing with our sister who raised her hand, would you, can we all stand up? We're gonna close out the service with this person coming into the family of God to say, Jesus, all together say, Jesus, I love you and I know that you love me and I thank you that you're a good God and that you gave first. I did nothing to deserve it. And even after I receive it, I still don't deserve it. But you're so good and you're so merciful and you're so graceful to me that I want it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me with your blood and I ask you to change me. Make me a new person. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.